You are listening to the Pragmatic Christian Podcast with your host, Hayden Bruce. I'm your host, Sean McCoy, and as always, that's right, as always, I am excited to be here. My next guest, Hayden Bruce, who's joining us. I've met him through one of my favorite places to find people, not just podcast guests, but people, and that's in the Mixed Mental Arts group that you may have heard us talk about with Hunter and with Kate. And one of the things about uh, Hayden that really impressed me when I first started talking to him was just a very, a very pragmatic approach to his faith, and we found each other in that sense. And so I thought it'd be a wonderful topic to sit down and talk to him about, which is just faith in general, and how it, it can be a difficult subject. It can be a subject that we're expected to, especially on the on the on the faith side, that if you have it, that it's expected to be a, a a static thing that just is and never has any kind of you know ups and downs or doesn't have any kind of ebb and flow. And I think that's anything but the truth. And so I reached out to Hayden and said, "Hey, look, man, I'd love to have you on. We've had some really nice conversations about some stuff that he's doing." But would you come to the table and accept my invitation to come and talk about just faith in general, and let's see where the conversation goes. And so with that, Hayden, my friend, thank you for accepting the invite and coming to the table. Hey, Sean, it's a pleasure. Well, awesome. But so we'll start out. We'll do what we always do. We'll go through the bio and then do a couple of warm-up questions, and then we'll head on from there. So Hayden is born, raised, and still lives in Detroit, Michigan. Your, your dad is an engineer, and you, he worked in the auto industry, made tools that were used on assembling cars and things of that nature. And around the auto industry, your mom worked odd jobs here and there, and that you are personally currently engaged. So congratulations on that. Thanks a lot. You, you do plan on having kids. And when I asked him about his humble brag, it was kind of interesting. He really didn't want to say. He didn't, he didn't really want to come up with one, a little bit of, uh, which I appreciate, but I kind of said, hey, give me something. And it turns out, which I thought was really impressive and something to definitely humble brag about, is that you are a self-taught drummer. So tell us a little bit about how do you teach yourself how to play drums? What was that like? Like most things, I think it's always easier to learn something when there's a need. And when I was younger, I went to youth group and church, and they needed a drummer for their worship band. So I just said, hey, I want to learn drums, so throw me up there. Because I threw myself into something like that and wanted to avoid mistakes, public shame as much as possible, I just went in my basement. My dad actually got me this um, super raggedy drum set that he got as a hand-me-down from someone he worked with who just had it thrown in his basement. And I just would listen to old punk rock music for hours just with my headphones on and would just try to follow along as much as I can. It's actually a good way to learn drums (laughs) because the first thing you need to learn is how to just follow a beat period and how to follow a rhythm and a tempo and everything. And then you just kind of mess around until you figure it out. But yeah, I kind of taught myself how to play drums, as I think a lot of drummers do a similar thing, but that's my uh, humble brag. Didn't really have a formal training or a real formal understanding of music theory. So have you ever, have you gone back since then and done anything around that to teach yourself a little bit more about drums or to to apply that knowledge? Or you just still kind of run the same way you've always done it? 
No, it's pretty embarrassing, actually, how little I know about the drums and about music theory in general. I don't even know the names of all the parts of a drum kit, but I could play to almost anything. <laughs> well, so, well, see, I don't know if that's embarrassing or a testament to just kind of that pure music kind of just expression and things of that nature. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, you can be formally trained on something, but if it's kind of just comes from you and, and it's passionate and you've just figured it out, I think there's a certain beauty to that. So that's that's really cool, man. That's a, that's a great, humble it's brag. It's to call yourself a musician. <laughs> if you're going to call yourself that, you got to kind of know your, your stuff. From somebody who can't do anything from a drum, from a musical standpoint, it's very cool. So we do we do three questions. Uh, that we kind of ask around kind of a get to know in addition to this, it's kind of goofy questions and you get to choose between door number one, door number two or door number three and whichever one of those that you pick to know. And this is a little bit of a tribute to one of my favorite podcasts. I was just listening to it today. It's a team never quit podcast with Marcus Luttrell and, and David Rutherford. And this is kind of just a subtle way to get to know you. So do door number one, two or three. Let's go with door number two. What life skills are rarely taught, but extremely useful. True. How to break into a car, which I've done many times in my life on my own vehicle. I just It came to mind because just the other day I went to the gym. I actually just started a membership. And so like the first time I went to this gym, since I got the membership, I locked myself out of my car because I didn't have a lock yet for the um, locker. So I wanted to lock my stuff in my car. So I took off what I thought was the, because my ignition key and my door lock key are separate. I have two different keys. So I thought I took off the door key and it turned out I took off my house key. And so when I went back after the workout, I went out in the freezing snow to realize that I had locked myself out of my vehicle. So I think that that's something that we can all uh, stand to learn from. <laughs> and, uh, you did qualify a little bit that it's not so that you could then borrow other people's cars. You, you see it as no. a useful thing that you can then turn around and, it was when you lock your keys in. So it, it just reminds me, yeah, it, you know, that kind of reminds me of car alarms. I don't know, for whatever reason, like, have you ever seen a car alarm work? I, I was thinking about this the other day. Not my own. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, those things seem to go off and it's just like, who's not, anyway, it's kind of off topic, but it was just, that was on my, on my mind lately because it, it seems like every time I go buy a car, but the car alarm going off, there's somebody frantically trying to turn it off. And so anyway, goofy thing. So then, the, okay, the next couple of questions. One, is describe your faith spiritual mantra. My faith spiritual mantra. What do I believe in? I guess I can go cliche in that love something to that. Something to that. I don't know. I don't really have a mantra because kind of my whole perspective is testing things out. So I guess I could say that, but then that would be a little too simple as well. Yeah, I don't really have a, a specific mantra other than test things out by the way those test spiritual beliefs out by the way they act out in human actions and the way that they cash out in human actions. I think that you could have a completely coherent belief and if it leads to nothing but human pain and suffering, it's not a very good belief. I guess that's, uh, I guess we'll get more into that later yeah. as we talk faith and religion and, and all that. But yeah, I guess I would say test beliefs out by their human action. Gotcha. What faith, good or bad, has had the greatest impression on you? What faith? Yeah, any faith. Any any faith that you've seen that you come across in your life that has had the greatest impression on you, good or bad. Are you talking about uh, like specific examples of someone's faith? Yeah, it could, could have been maybe you just saw, you, you grew up in a group of people that were of a certain religion and you just saw them doing really wonderful things or just in your experience around a certain religion that was really negative that, had the, that really had the greatest impact on you from the outside. That's a good question. Because I think that that question 
affects us on such a deep level that we don't even realize all the time, the way that the faiths that we observe affect our own faith and affect the choices that we make and the directions that we go. I would say that the faith of, I've had a lot of people in my life that have taught me about, through their own faith, have taught me a whole bunch of things either for good or for bad. The one example my brain keeps going to is a mentor of mine. He was the director of my Bible college that I went to. And he, I I mean, today I would say that we probably disagree on a lot of things, but to this day, I respect him more than anybody as a, as a religious thinker. He just has a way of thinking deeply about things that doesn't reduce it to simple creeds or scientifically or he doesn't reduce it to anything he has a way of humanizing concepts he has a way of explaining very complex things in very concrete ways which is something that i've always been in awe of and something that i've been trying to emulate my in my own life so yeah i would just uh, give a shout out to jp dorsey uh, because he has been probably one of the biggest influencers of my faith up to date. So I would say that. And so, and so just kind of set the, uh, set the tone a bit. One of the things that we have in, in our progress have, have turned around on what kind of, what is a show's mantra or a show's motto is love in action is listening to understand, not to react. And so the point of the conversation to sit down with Hayden is to really discuss the subject of faith and what, what it means to him, what it means to me, and just have a conversation around it. And explored that, and then what is what makes those things difficult without any idea of trying to come up with a point or counterpoint. We're not here to debate the merits either way. It's just more of a, uh, it's a couple of guys just having a discussion around something, as you would, almost like a campfire. And so with that, I think we can kind of dive in and talk a little bit about where, maybe the best thing to dive in in that regard is to kind of ask you a little bit about where, when you hear the word faith, what does that mean to you? Like, what is that, what does that word strike in you, and then how do you see it in your day-to-day? It's weird to answer such a simple sounding question because <laughs> I've done, I've done like, not only have I, you know, I was raised a Christian, so I have this, this personal experiential knowledge of what I think about when I think about faith, but then also all the reading that I've done and listening to other scholars, mentors, other people's faith. So it's like, it's such a pregnant word, you know, it's such a loaded word faith. And I guess what I think about is the way that people, the way that they relate to the world, to the universe, that can be um, as local as how we interact with each other, which is the social level, but it can be expanded to the way we relate to transcendental ideas, uh, God, things that go beyond our ability to rationalize and think and put into clear, meaningful words. So it's the way we relate to these really abstract concepts that that millions of people throughout history have felt personally aware of and have felt like they have a personal relationship to these super abstract concepts. They feel like they have a relationship with the world, with the universe, with God, um, with life itself. And they feel that similar thing when they interact with each other. And so you can abstract it to really, really complicated degrees, or you could uh, scale it down to the local level of how we interact with each other. But I think it's this I personally think that it is this really distinct feeling. I think it is a feeling. It can be certainly more than that. 
But I think that it's a distinct thing that, in a way, everybody has. Everybody has faith in something. Everyone has to have faith in something. Otherwise, they can't really move. You have to have faith in gravity in order to operate in the world on this planet Earth uh, successfully. So, in a way, we all have faith in certain things. And then some people have faith in more abstract things that you can't see that we don't necessarily all agree on. We can all agree on gravity, but there's other things that we can have faith in that we don't agree on. And then I guess that's where things start to get complicated and we can start to disagree either civilly or violently. So I, I think faith is quite simply a complex <laughs> word and concept to deal with, but it's something that I have been personally obsessed with. I've been occupied and preoccupied with it throughout my life as a Christian, and then challenging those ideas, my faith has gone under a sort of journey and a process and a transformation, and it continues to, and I expect it to continue to. I really hope it doesn't stop where I'm at now because I have so much to learn. But yeah, it's just one of those words and one of those ideas and concepts that can be extracted to so many different levels. Um, it means so many different things to so many different people. Was it, no, so you said around, no, and, and I think that's, you know, it's perfectly fair to to see it as a. It is a kind of a pregnant thing. We we've definitely we've given it this idea of this this ambiguous almost an ambiguity to it in terms of well, you just say it's my faith, and it almost kind of implies something, and everybody thinks it might mean something, but it but but then you break it down, and it is something different for everybody. And then, as you said, it's something that's also in motion. It almost evolves. You know, we were talking, as you know, we were, I was talking, you know, to Hunter about this and some other people like that around this idea that it, it has to go on this this journey and it has to have this change to it. And and part of it is you, is that you should that if it's static, and you just and you just say this is what I think, and I just never ever want to challenge it. But to your point, you kind of you're not learning. And so I, so I, but when you say stuff like that, I think where people get a little bit <clears throat> a little bit nervous is they think, okay, well. Does that evolution mean that it has to change so much that I lose my faith? And what they really mean is that you lose your identity around a certain belief that you've put faith in. Well, I, I used to, I used to have faith in, in you know, I used to have faith in ag being agnostic, I guess, on some level, and then I decided to change that radically and to become a Christian. And so, and as you mentioned, you grew up in a Christian home, but then you became something, you know, a modified version of that. You call it a it's a phrase I've heard you say is being you know, a pragmatic Christian. When did it start for you around the in terms of the that journey, and what what was the real catalyst for that? What the transformation or the yeah? Like when, uh, when did you first start to go from just kind of a stoic? Well, this is what I was taught, and this is what I think. To then all of a sudden, like, hmm, let me challenge that that idea. Let me challenge that particular thought process, and then does that open the door to to more and more reflection that caused you to then kind of go along that journey and change things up? Well, to a certain extent. I think, as I've been told by others close to me, I've always had kind of a kind of a rebellious spirit. I just I've always had a hard time just allowing myself to fit into the structures that were uh, that I was placed in by other people. I've always had this feeling that I want to be in control of my circumstances. I don't like you know rules and structures being placed on me. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I was like that. And in a lot of ways, a lot of little kids are like that. But I never kind of, I never really grew out of that. In certain aspects, for sure, you have to in order to uh, function in society. But I've always had this part of me that didn't like pre-given structures to things. Um, I've always questioned those things deep down inside. And when I was a kid, I think I did that just naturally. But it wasn't like a big problem because I was a kid. 
I would just internalize, you know, I think it's important to note here that I grew up in a fundamentalist home. It was Pentecostal of the Pentecostal tradition, but it was fundamentalist, which means that there is absolutely a right way to think. There is a list of right theologies and creeds. And if you don't believe this, then you're wrong. And you are liable to go to hell if you, you know, whenever you die. It's a very fundamentalist, very absolutist way of, of looking at the world and living. And that just never sat right with me when I was a kid. And I don't think it ever did. I think once I started to go into my teenage years, I started like every other teenager trying to find themselves. And I found myself in my church community. I didn't hang out with friends outside of school, from school. I didn't hang out with them outside of school. The people that I hung out with, that I spent all my time with were in church. That's where my community was. So that's where I found my identity. And then as a young person trying to fit into that identity, I realized that there is more social clout and admiration to be gained if you know what you're talking about when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to Christianity and the faith. And so I volunteered to be a student leader in my youth group growing up. I volunteered to basically be a part of the leadership in whatever way within the church because I knew that that would you know, and I wasn't thinking these things consciously, but I was internalizing this, you know, these social structures that I can gain clout, I can gain res- gain respect and admiration if I basically follow these lines. And there's room, there's wiggle room within it, but those were the structures given to me and I kind of adapted to that. You know, I could have went a different way. I just did not relate to the people at school. I related to the people in church. So I think I just very naturally got myself into a position where becoming a fundamentalist, becoming the best fundamentalist was the best option for me. So that was my teenage years. And then because that uh, rebellious spirit inside of me wasn't going to go away. I think that that's always been a part of me. I started to realize how American the church is. And so I had this whole campaign against like Americanism and how like the American church is basically tempted towards like all these different like capitalism, industrialism, and it's infecting the church and all this stuff, which was really, that really started when I went on a missions trip to Nicaragua and just saw how poor people were. And when I came back home after experiencing, I went to the dumps in Managua and where all these kids were living, like all these people were living. And we took like 50 to 100, uh, I can't remember the exact number. We took a bunch of kids out of the dump, took them to this like lake, which a lot of them had never even swam before. We took them to this lake to do like a kids camp kind of thing for a week. And it was the first time many of these kids had a meal three times a day. And so putting a face on the need that was out in the world that I had never experienced growing up and that I see a lot of people take for granted in America, that just really, really uh, struck a chord in me. That really messed me up. And so then I started to rail against the American church, which there is no American church. There's American churches. Mm -hmm. I think there is an American culture for sure. But I started to rail against those things. So I went to Bible college so I could really learn the truth, so I could start to critique all that stuff. And it was in Bible college where I started to realize just how baloney that mindset was. I still had it because I still thought that, oh, oh, now I really am learning things. And now I'm questioning what I thought before. And I kind of welcomed that. I don't know why, but that just, I mean, of course, it's, it's always uncomfortable to learn new things, but I always kind of welcomed the learning process. And Uh, changing my mind on those things because I wanted to know the truth so that I could trump other people with the truth. And then 
just after preconception, after preconception, getting knocked down and starting from ground zero, I gained a lot more humility in that process until eventually I came to the point where I'm I'm like, I don't know what I think. I don't know what I believe. Everything seems like a human construct. I don't know what possible authority any of this could be based on because every single theology, every single creed has a human origin. And it just started messing me up in a real profound way. And so I guess for the past five or six years, uh, I've kind of been going through that process and restructuring now like I went through the deconstruction process and now I'm trying to restructure what I think with a with a healthy sense of humility and fallibilism I don't think that any idea I have now is the final word I'm always trying to question those things I think I rambled on long enough so I went to Guatemala last year Mm-hmm. And we had a very similar experience where we went to a dump. And for those that haven't done something like this, it literally is, for us, it was this massive uh, landfill with actually, I mean, like garbage, not just, not just remnants. It's like, this is where they came and dumped the garbage. And there were people that were living there and would pick out plastic bottles and metal cans and they would recycle it. And that's how they made money. And they lived there. They lived in, like living in a trash, literally living in a trash. And so to your, and that had, that's probably the most profound, had a profound impact on many, many people that were part of the the trip that I went on. And it definitely had an impact on me. And to your point, it kind of gives you that kick in the gut from a humility standpoint and a humbling standpoint. And you come back to, our, to where we live and you have this, it's a dichotomy. It's a tremendous dichotomy for us to sit there and, and see that. And then, and then to see kind of how other people are, are Christians and how other people activate their faith or however you want to, or how, how they live out their faith, and you're looking at how we do it. And to your point, I think the American side of your being fair is very much a struggle around economics and, and prosperity. And, you know, and then that becomes part of the message. And you're like, well, no, that's not really where I saw it was like, you know, the, the, as I saw the gospel being, being, if your faith is going to, you should have your faith no matter what, if you're going to have it. In terms of in terms of your your belief, it shouldn't be conditional upon material things. I think that becomes a very and that we have we have a lot of that issue in our in our country where the prosperity gospel and things like that come up and people are like, well of course you you're almost promised this and then it becomes the reason that you have you know it makes me think of Ricky Bobby and all that where it's like you know they're thanking Jesus for the whole you know the massive contract and all their money. Well, of course you're thinking Jesus at that point. You have all this material possessions. Yeah, it's convenient to believe in him at that moment. Very convenient, and so that, and I think that were, the, and, and then when you have this, but I want to ask you. You said that you went through this trans- transformation where you were on this journey to kind of be right, and I think there's that innate part of us where we find ourselves wanting to have that ability, that authority, that yeah. power to kind of say. And part of it starts from an idea of wanting the truth, because the truth is a facts are a very comfortable place if you can if they're not debatable, right? If they're very if it's very easy to, to lay in that area, well, no, this is the truth, and that's it, and there's no debate about it. I think there's a natural comfort level there that people go through and want to have for themselves. So that's why if something doesn't necessarily quite make sense and they don't know how to explain it, having faith in something, and if that's the reason you believe in something, takes on a little bit, it's a lot harder to either argue or to transfer or to even validate on some level to say, well, why do you believe in that? Well, I, I just kind of just saying just because you believe becomes very, very difficult for people to then even relate to. And that's why I think that ebb, but that ebb and flow is, is has to we have to have that. I think it has to be part of the process. We have to allow for that. And in this militant way that we look at anything, I think, even even science and even things like, things like that, and people might get all excited and go, well, you can't can't dispute that you know you'll drown if you if you get in water. Well, I'm not trying to dispute things that are kind of like in that level. I'm talking about just not 
not taking everything at face value that everything that you've ever had. And I was having this discussion the other day as well about what does it really mean to to kind of like believe in things and why and if you've never actually experienced it, how can you say it was around things like cryotherapy and essential oils and Himalayan salt lamps and all the rest of this stuff, right? How do you know? And there was a lady I had on my on my show that was talking about cold showers, and or at least heard one of her episodes about that, how it could be good for you. Well, if I've never taken a cold shower or done something around that area, how can I say that it hadn't worked? And I think it's a little bit of what you're saying about this evolution and this idea of constantly pushing that. But you also mentioned that in your experience in, in faith and people that you grew up around, and I'd be curious how they look at that today, how do people that you grew up in that were a little bit kind of more on the, I don't want to say militant, that's maybe not the right word, but much more stoic about what they believed and kind of very much know we have the right way. How how's that? How does that transition been and how is your relationship with people that you grew up around that area? There are a lot of people from my past who do not get it. And that's rough. You're going to lose your, I mean, in a way, as we move forward in life, we always lose the relationship of the past because we're constantly adding to experience and so relationships always have to evolve and have to grow and become a new thing but a lot of relationships kind of they can't grow past that point because one side my side i want to grow with people but they cannot accept me growing in a certain way that goes outside of their categories of what is possible or what's allowed and so Unfortunately, when you go through that kind of process of deconstructing what you think and what you believe, unfortunately, some relationships aren't just, it's just not possible for them to move forward because both sides, mostly one side is just not willing to grow with you in that. And I think that it's really important to make this point here regarding everything that you were just saying, and everything that I was just saying. I think it's crucial to challenge your preconceptions. I think it's crucial for growth. I think it's crucial for everyone's personal process and journey. And in order to learn anything, you have to challenge yourself. You have to come to a point where you realize that you don't know everything. And I think it's important to make this point that this, what I'm talking about is not relativism. It's fallibilism. I still believe in truth as an ideal. And I think it's important to believe in truth as an ideal to always strive for. But truth is not the problem. Certainty is the problem. And having absolute certainty is the problem. I think that absolute certainty is nothing but a hindrance. It's a psychologically rewarding feeling. It feels really good to be certain about things. I mean, there's all sorts of, uh, I'm sure there's all sorts of good feeling chemicals that are involved in certainty, but it will not progress you as a person. It will not progress you in your relationships. I mean, you're married. I mean, how many times have you been absolutely certain about something and it's just not worth being absolutely certain about it because it's just going to leave this huge roadblock in progressing forward in a conversation and in a dialogue about something. I just, I don't think that certainty is a beneficial, a humanly beneficial thing in most cases. I guess I can't say that for all cases, certainty is not uh, useful. I mean, it's a very useful thing. But I think when it comes to personal growth and intellectual growth, emotional growth, you have to be, you have to humble yourself. You have to say that I don't know everything. I mean, that's why community is so important because we don't know everything. And not only do we not know everything, we don't have the time to possibly know everything. Right. So in a really real way, our our acknowledgement of our fallibilism, our acknowledgement of our small place 
in the world and, and our inability to know everything, it allows us to need each other. It allows us to be in a healthy community where I'm going to go this way and I'm going to search for the truth in this direction. You guys are going to go in a different direction and look for truth. Kind of like uh, King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table, they were all looking for the grail, but they all went to the darkest place to them. You know, they all went to what they saw as the darkest place, which was all different. And in order to search for the Holy Grail, which was salvation, and then come back to kind of share their notes and and figure out where it is. Like, I think in a real way, we all do the same thing, that there is a, I think, a holiness or a sacredness to subjective personal experience that I am going to go out into the world and experience and find what I can find. And I'm going to bring it back to the community and I'm going to share my notes and I'm going to explain what I found. So I think that that kind of dynamic is healthy for a community. I think under times of crisis, that's when we can use certainty. We can use rules and structures and order. But for a lot of us, we're not undergoing intense crisis. We're not in a war. We're not under, we're not under crisis all the time. And so when we aren't, that's when certainty is just not a useful thing. It hinders curiosity. It, it hinders growth. It hinders inquiry. And I think that those are the things that we need in order to be creative and to find creative solutions to our problems. And there's always new problems to solve. I just think that truth is good. Certainty is usually not that great. <laughs> you hear this all the time where people will say, not that you're doing it on purpose, you're being kind of this abstract generalization around certain changes and everything else like that. Would you give us an example or, or, or of something that you thought of, even like a specific example, something that I thought this, and not, not to try to single out a certain part of doctrine or to throw anybody in the Pentecostal church or anything like not trying to do that. I'm just trying to give you, this is your journey of where you said you thought something and then kind of go through a little bit of how that, what that was like to how, and how you recognize it and then how you were able to then change it and what that actually looks like. Cause I think so many times we talk about this, we talk about challenging our faith or struggles or, you know, this, that, or I have different, different thoughts on it. And then we kind of leave it at that. It, if you can, if you don't mind pulling back the curtain a little bit, what would you say are a couple of examples on that for you? I'm trying to think of one that's not too controversial. I got one that <laughs> might be a good example because I've gone back and forth on it multiple times. Right. The idea of original sin, the idea that human beings are nothing but sinful, that's one interpretation of it. That's kind of like the mainstream view of original sin, that every single one of us, by nature of the fall, which is Adam and Eve eating the apple, the very first sin, now humanity is tainted with sin. Every new human being is born sinful and in need of salvation. This is a mainstream view of Christianity. I used to believe in that. In my fundamentalist ways, I used to believe that completely. But that goes back to the pragmatic way that we understand things and the, you know, the pragmatic my pragmatic Christianity is how do these beliefs pan out in experience? You know, like you said, in concrete examples in uh, real life experience. Well, I think that that belief of original sin has done extreme damage to millions of people, including myself, which is why I eventually railed against it. Because this idea, at least in my personal experience, my belief in original sin made me completely it made me completely doubt myself in all circumstances now of course i would always say like 
that means I can completely rely on God. God will pick up where I can't continue. I'm weak where he is strong. These are things that we tell each other to bolster this idea. But at the end of the day, I didn't think that I could do anything. You know, it's this real disempowering belief system. And then, so like I said, I railed against that belief where, okay, there's got to be something more to this. There's got to be some kind of interpretation about this that doesn't lead to all humans are completely sinful. And I'll qualify that by saying there has to be another belief that doesn't just say Jesus is how we get away from that. <laughs> that in order to believe in, you know, you have to believe in Jesus in order to cover all those sins. And now you can be a good person. Now you're not a completely sinful person. You still have sin in your life. It's not completely gone. Uh, you have to work that out throughout your life through sanctification. But Jesus can cover all that. There has to be, I had. I said to myself that there has to be another way of thinking about this that doesn't say only Jesus can be the answer. Because I would look at through my travels, through my missionary experiences, through my research, through my reading, I would listen to atheists who would describe their life stories, which that's another big part of my own personal uh, process and journey, is I started listening to podcasts and started listening to all these comedians and all these self-professing atheists, and I heard them discuss life in a way that I would say they look more like a Christian than I do. They look more like a Christian than the Christians I know in my life. And so that was a big eye-opener for me, that atheists, people that don't believe in God, people that believe in other gods, other belief systems, they can be better Christians than Christians themselves. So when you say that, real, when you say that real quick, so when you say they can be a better Christian, what... Yeah, I mean that kind of tongue-in-cheek, ironically, that they would act more like Jesus taught us to act than most Christians I know actually act out in their actual lives. Being compassionate, kind, loving, caring, not judging, right. all these Which things. Which is something, it's something that comes up a lot in, like, atheism versus theism debates. If you watch, like, debates with, like, the new atheists, and they're talking to a John Lennox or some apologist, and that's something that always comes up, is... The atheist, the new atheist, would say, "Well, are you saying that there's that atheists can't be good without a belief in God?" And then the Christian, who if they've done their homework, they know they have to say, "No, I'm not saying that atheists can absolutely be moral and be good without a belief in God. I'm just saying that their life would be a lot better. That there's more than these. That there's salvation. There's eternity to think about because people can absolutely be moral without a belief in God, and that's something that." like I as a fundamentalist had to wrap my head around and had to come face to face with because things aren't just as simple. I was led to believe that you could not possibly be a holy good person unless you believed in Jesus. And then there was just countless person after person who showed me otherwise people who acted more like Jesus spoke more like Jesus loved more like Jesus than I did in my own life. And more than a lot of the Christians that I knew in my life. So original sin so I used to think one way about it, and it heaps on guilt on the person that thinks about it in that way. I'm not saying that there's not a good way to think about it, but at the time when I was younger, I start I railed against it because I thought, okay, this is only a guilt. You know, this is all, this belief only creates guilt. It's not a healthy belief, so there has to be a better way to think about this. So then I did not believe in original sin. And now I come full circle and I know that things aren't that simple. I know that things aren't just relative. I know that there 
I don't. I may not believe in a original sin as this real substance thing that exists in the world that is infecting everyone. But humans are not perfect. Humans are fallible. Humans mess up. That's what the beginning of the Bible, the Genesis story, is all about. It's about the fact that we became self-conscious, we became conscious through our sins, and that's what makes us... Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a bunch of different ideas jumbled up. <laughs> it's okay, come on. This is, this is the, it's a conversation. It kind of goes wherever it goes. And no, it all makes sense. But the idea is that I used to think about it in one way, because, and that actually did keep guilt on me and caused me to not believe in myself enough to do anything, to do anything good at all, like to wish for more than just my present circumstance. And then I railed against that belief. And then everything, I came face to face with another uh, view of reality that was not accurate, which is that humans are deep down good people. You know, that's kind of the romantic view is that people are deep down inside good they're not, they're not originally evil, that they're actually good. And if you just put them in the right circumstances or give them the right beliefs, then that goodness will come out. And now I've come full circle, which is kind of a pragmatic middle way, which is that both are true. We both have potential for great evil and we have potential for great good. And we have to, we have to foster our character. We have to develop our character in order to go a certain direction. If you're familiar with Jordan B. Peterson's work, that's Mm -hmm. kind of what he talks about is that we have to build the habits of truth, build the habits of good, aim at the most true, aim at the most good in order to build ourselves, which is an existential view, which is that we have to build the kind of people that we want to become. We are not any one thing at any given moment, we are becoming something. And every action and everything that we do in our experiences in life build towards the person that we're becoming, which also goes hand in hand with sanctification, I think, that we're becoming something new, which is an idea that I like. So that's an example of specific belief, original sin, where I started in one way. I went to the exact opposite direction of that belief on the other side of the opposition towards it and then came back to a, a more rounded out view, I think. So that's just one. I have more. more. <laughs> well, you, you actually gave a couple more while you were talking as well, which I thought was really cool. But the So would you say around, because there is that there's that debate, and people that are atheists or that maybe don't have a religion per se get very, very offended, and rightfully so, with this idea that all of a sudden they cannot be moral without religion. And I don't... Because I because I didn't grow up with any religion, and so so I understand that 100. percent You can be you can be ethical because you decided to be, and and then the irony to that is even if you're a person of faith, there's an element that you're still deciding to be that as well. And then you're to your to your point about so then what does what does religion do for you? And and I think it's much more along the lines of as you mentioned that dichotomy of of self, the potential for good or bad. It's like you know, and maybe this will get people upset, but bullying in school, the idea that there's a single bully like in the movies of one kid, it's just the one kid over there, and if you get rid of that one bully, bullying goes away. Every kid is capable of being bullied, and every kid is capable of being a bully. We're, we're not, there isn't, it isn't a one-size-fits-all. It isn't a, a good guy, bad guy. It'd be great if it was, if you could just eradicate certain things and they would just go away. It's within us. And, and I see, to your point, around that dichotomy of self is what what is then guiding you and that's how I see faith and that and that's where I see the, the gospel being something to say, okay, this this may not be your initial reaction or you may be leaning more towards this way in terms of how you how you meet people, how you touch people, how you engage with people and that so what is it that's really going to motivate you? 
on a consistent basis so that you're not such, so it's not all the way up and down all the time to where all of a sudden today I'm a good person and tomorrow I'm a bad person. The idea is to stay in some sort of happy medium all the time in terms of that balance, right? That there's that balance that we're trying to get to that I think most of us kind of want. And and, and that's where I think the, you know, happy and deserve and, and these things become so overwhelming for us because they, they kind of heighten one end of it and make, well, it'd be great if it was always, if I was always in my happy place, if I was always happy or I want to be happy, if I could just stay happy all the time, then I wouldn't be sad. Well, of course. And then it, then there's this pursuit of that. But I think joy, and that's where for me, from a gospel standpoint, joy, that contentment that says, hey, you can throw either, either side of it that you want at me either way. And I'm going to be, I'm going to stay right here in the middle, not get too high, not get too low. Yeah. And then, and then to your point is, what is the real, what is the real thing we're shooting for? Is it really even about me? And this is where you know it becomes where it's not. Is it really about me being happy and all the rest of that stuff? That's not. That's not the thing. Is original sin and debating whether or not that that is, was it as soon as you're born, or is it when you all of a sudden? I heard this other day on a podcast, which I'm, I'm not knocking or saying is wrong either. Their, their take was a a baby is without sin until it commits its first sin, whenever that sin happens to happen. Well, okay. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar and we can, we can move on. But by the time you get to where you and I are, you know, we've done our part. You know, I always say this and, you know, I did my part to put Jesus on the cross, but now what am I going to do about it? And then, you, but you don't want to, I also think that there's a debilitating factor around that as well, where if you're making people feel absolutely terrible about being human, I, I'm not a big fan of that either, where it's just, you're terrible, you're terrible, you're terrible. You yeah. are so unworthy, unworthy, we're unworthy. On some level, yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, I, I get that there isn't there is that need. That's why you, that's why if you're a Christian, you need Jesus to help you balance that out so that you are worthy. I got it. But making me just rubbing my nose in it all the time right. is not going to produce the fruit that we've talked about before. And that is, and that's why I think because because the people that aren't, aren't wrapped up in all that all that stuff are out there doing the things that we should be doing anyway. You know, we, yeah. they're out there loving people and being kind and being generous and not that they're doing it all the time and not that Christians aren't. I'm not saying that at all. It, it's just, I think that you get, we get kind of wrapped up in the details. You get lost in those things that I don't want to say they're not important, but we can debate on them over here. But when it comes down to it, what are we really, how are we really living out our faith? And that's, that's the true testament to what it is that you believe in. And then that's what I think even makes those other people even more upset. And you, and you mentioned it, which is, I'm going to tell you, and I saw this when I was a kid, you know, you're telling me all day long you're a Christian, and I'm not seeing a whole lot, not that I'm, not that I'm the judge, jury, and executioner, but, but that is how this works. You're, you're going, people are going, we talked about this before in the show, you're going to see somebody, if, if the Pope does something, he's going to represent all Catholics. If somebody wearing a, a, a collar in an airport, and they're, and they're a Catholic priest, if they do something, Whatever they do, say how they act, whatever is going to represent, and people are going to take that as, as a and, and decide for the entire group. That's the way it is. Men, women, football players, right? It doesn't matter the demographic. We we tend to to judge the entire group that way. So there is a part of that that's you are representing that entire demographic, and that, and then you're and then you're just trying to figure it out to your point where you're just you're just trying to figure. <laughs> you're not really sure where where your mind goes or what your what your beliefs are. And then now you got to act them out properly and represent Christianity all the time properly, and then and then what? Then you fail ultimately. And so it becomes a. It, but in terms of your own personal faith, and in terms of how you back to kind of that part of it, as you chew through this, when do you when do you to kind of decide like which when when to turn or when when to when to kind of go through that, or is it just really like you said, just constantly waking up? Here's where I think I'm standing on things, 
And today I'm going to go out there and test the waters and see what happens. Well, before I ever had any conception of of the pragmatic method of pragmatism as a tool to test these things, I started to view things through the filter of, is this healthy or not? So happiness is a really bad tester of the truthfulness of things, but health is a little bit better. It's not perfect, but I started thinking of things through the lens of, is this healthy or unhealthy? Not neutral. Is this healthy or unhealthy or more healthy than it is unhealthy? And so I started to filter beliefs through that back to the, or, you know, the original sin thing is my view. Of course, we're going back again to the problem is not the conception of, or the problem is not the idea itself, although there really isn't ideas in themselves. There are ideas always. So is my conception of this idea healthy or unhealthy? If it's unhealthy, then I have two possibilities. Either the idea is false or I'm thinking about it in a wrong way. So my conception of the idea is false. My Either way, if it's unhealthy, my conception of the idea is false. The way that I'm allowing that idea to act out in my life is wrong. And so that's my first test for these things is, is this coming through me in an unhealthy way? I mean, you can even believe in truth in an unhealthy way. Sure. Is your idea of truth leading you to be a jerk to people? Is it leading you to be this certain absolute tyrant in everyone's life? That's certainly a bad conception. And I think if we're being honest, that's a really false conception of truth that that person has, which I've been liable to. And realizing how much of a jerk you are, that's another good test, which is the healthy, unhealthy thing. If if your belief about something leads you to be a jerk, you're thinking about it wrong. It doesn't matter if it's a, if it's theology, if it's your own faith in Christianity. If your Christianity or your belief system or your religion is le- leading you to be a jerk, it's not good. It's certainly not useful. And if you're a Christian, then it's definitely not true because Jesus, everything he taught us, you know, what we have of of what he said in the Gospels and in the New Testament, he was all about love. He was all about bringing unity to people, about creating wholeness and reconciling relationships, reconciling peoples and cultures and bringing a unity. His last prayer before, you know, I think it was in John, his last prayer, one of his last prayers before he before he went to the cross was he was praying to God. He was talking to God and he was saying that may your people be one, may they be one the way that you and I are. And he, you know, if you're a Christian and if you want to say that you follow Jesus, that is the Christ ethic, is bringing oneness, bringing connection, bringing unity. That doesn't mean unity in ideas or ideals. I think that Jesus is the one ideal that as Christians we can all agree on, but it doesn't mean that we agree on every single idea that's possible to have. And that goes back again to my pragmatism, which I can't really get away from, is that I think that our ideas are meant to be tested that we get closer to truth, that no one person has all the truth, that we need each other in community to live out our different interpretations about things, figure out what works more, what is more like Jesus, what leads to more Christian fruit. And we test that out and we look at each other and we say, hey, things are really working out for you. You are really making a difference in your community. You are really an example of Christ's love everywhere you go. I want to, I guess, throw some of my ideas out and kind of adopt some of yours. I think that that's a really healthy way to be in community in general, and especially in Christian community. It's a testing of the faith. It's a testing of your ideas. I think that 
beliefs are meant to be tested because the way that I look at beliefs in general is that beliefs are habits of action, that what you believe about something will always have an action attached to it in your life. That's how we know what our beliefs mean is how they are interpreted through our human actions. And so that's also why I have no use for ideas that have no consequences. Like I could try to explain to you the truth of a unicorn that lives on Uranus or uh, Saturn or any other planet. And we have, I mean, I guess we do have a way to test that. So <laughs> I should say that there's an invisible unicorn that lives on Saturn and it's there and it's controlling the universe. It's like that could lead to all sorts of good psychological, healthy, I mean, maybe it makes me happy, maybe it gives me comfort. Those are all good things. Those pass some of the tests, but it doesn't pass all the tests and it's useless. I could just say, well, why don't you just be all those things without that belief? And that's a lot of atheists' uh, critique of Christianity. And so for us as Christians, uh, as believers, people of faith, I would say that we have to have more than just words to give an example or give an account of our faith. Uh, I think it was Paul or Peter that says you need to always have an account, make an account of, of your faith, of your belief. Why do you believe in God? That doesn't mean that you go out arguing people, but it means that when asked, you know what you think. And I think that there's no better test for what you think than the actions that can be seen in your life. I think that there's nothing clearer than a concrete action to be a, a description or a definition of what you think and believe. I'm kind of saying that in a jumbled up way, but it's like a testimony. I, it's like a testimony to what you're Right. It's a testimony to what you think. It's a testimony to your your experience and your beliefs and what you've done and how you've seen it in action. And, and but I think even even that sometimes I think can become it can become very difficult in how you manage that in terms of if I experience something and I'm I'm convinced 100 percent that it's the Holy Spirit and it's God been God it was a God thing you know God wink we have those stories all the time mm-hmm. and then it becomes this thing where it's like okay well this starts almost starts to validate truth with a capital T and then we want to go out and say that we have the whole truth and one of the things I wrote down as you were talking a minute ago was when we go through these ideas of what where we think we have the capital T. It's really, uh, this guy was telling me a story the other day, a friend of mine, Joel, and he's true. We, we've gotten a little bit of a, there, you, there could be some semblance of truth in that, almost like knowledge. Like you've learned a little bit. I know just enough about the U.S. Civil War to have a conversation about it, but what do I really know about it? I don't know a whole lot. I know right. just enough. But then I think where the struggle is, I think from a faith, from a faith standpoint, going back to your, like from a religious, spiritual standpoint is, and I, and, I, and I go back to when I became a Christian, I knew, I knew that if I tried, if I waited to take that leap, if I waited to, to make that decision until I ultimately knew all of it, I knew there was no way that I would ever, yeah. ever get to that point where I would say, now I 100% know it. It's like it's almost like a theorem. I can I can A plus B equals C kind of thing, and I can just do it, and it's, and it's all the way across the table true. I knew that. And then where, where faith for me became, and I had to ask myself, where, to your point about this idea of kind of where do you push and kind of see, where, did, I, did I ever have faith before? And I remember thinking to myself, well, I knew in my heart, or I felt in my heart, 100% before I became a Christian, that when you die, something else had to happen. There was no way that the lights just went out, and that was it. I, I, but I, I just felt that. I felt that, in, and I quote-unquote knew that in my head, and didn't have any, but I couldn't, I knew that if I went to a true atheist, someone who I think is an atheist, and I would even ask people that are atheists if they really, do they really believe there's absolutely no God? So if this person's going to tell me, no, 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 
There is absolutely, under any circumstances, not a God in the... None. We are just here by chance. Okay. Even before I became a Christian, I would have disagreed with that, but I, but I had no way to prove that to them. I just had faith in my heart and in my mind that that was going to be something that was true. And so that's when I realized that I had the capacity for faith. Because even up until that moment, I didn't even know that I had it. I didn't even know that I was actually practicing faith on some level, because I really hadn't been challenged to your point, which I think is really great. And I think as we're, you know, as we're getting close to this hour mark and looking at this, because I think you and I could, again, we talk about this and go, it goes quick. To me, it's talking through this. It's not even. It's talking with each other and it's listening. Theme of the show. We keep saying that, and I hope that it resonates. And I hope that we keep saying that because I want this to come through to those that are listening. This is an opportunity for you to to listen to a couple of people, have a discussion around this. It was. It was our. It's our take on certain things. It's not a agree disagree. It is when it's time. But then, when he's saying something that I, it's challenging me, this is an opportunity for you to expand what you're thinking. It doesn't mean you have to give up what you believe. It doesn't mean any of that. I, and I don't, I don't know why we... Ha- I think we have a little bit of that. I do think of that somewhat of an... I don't know if it's fair to say if it's an American culture thing, or I think it's just a worldly culture. We, we want to win. We want to be right. We want to be in charge. We want to have the answer. We want to know. And so that's not fair to say it's American. That's just a person thing. We want to we be the one who directs what's going on and has the answer. But man, we just don't. And so, yep. so that's okay. So I think it's okay to not understand every aspect of the Bible and to be able to argue it. And that's why for me, if somebody wants to say, well, tell me about this, 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 and this, and why does it say this? On some levels, maybe I, I can't explain exactly what that means, but let's chew through it. You know, the Bible that I read is not directive. I mean, there's some directive aspects that I shouldn't say that because there's going to get all kinds of people. But I guess what I mean in terms of the concept around love and, and, the, and the concepts that Jesus talking about, those, those general, he doesn't really ever answer a question directly it much more is making you decide what that means. What does a parable really say? And then as you mentioned way back in the beginning, how how this, how, how faith influences, because we, we hear these stories and, and they make sense. I mean, even if you weren't a Christian, doesn't it make sense not to throw some, some stones at somebody? That you, if you've never done anything wrong, if you've never done anything wrong, you pick up the rock and hit her. Now, I don't think you have to be a Christian to understand that principle. So can that be the can that be the common ground that we talk about? And then I think we have to allow ourselves to have those struggles in faith, to whatever degree that we have them. Is is the you know how do we put how does how do dinosaurs work into this whole thing? How do we how, if we don't allow some flexibility of thought? And I think that's where people end up falling from the church is because then it becomes so static and so stoic that yeah. the minute it goes to move a little bit, it breaks, and then then they just discount it altogether. And I. And it really does break my heart in a lot of ways from this podcast specifically of talking to people that have just had negative experiences around faith and didn't have the opportunity to allow for that flexibility in their own mindset. And then because of that, they just went, they just decided to just completely can it and, and whatever that belief happens to be. And a lot of times it's Christianity. And I just think it's unfortunate because it, I think it, I think it takes away an opportunity for people to grow and how they can, whatever that journey they happen to go down happens to be. And I think it's really crucial to your point that we don't do that. So my, my thing out there to the, to the audience would really be, you know, take, take a minute to, to, to look at yourself and, 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 and what you believe in and how your beliefs have changed, but then maybe that they have that they haven't and how many things have and then allowing somebody else to have that change in their belief as well. And that that's okay. And then ask people what made them do that. What made you go from a Baptist to a you know to an atheist? What made you go from a Hindu to a Muslim or whatever it happens to be? So, I don't know, before we sign off, is any famous last words you'd like to throw out there? Yeah, to what you were just saying. I mean, the Bible begins with the creation of man, and it says that 
God said that we're going to make man in our image. And so biblically, uh, theologically, human beings are the image of God. And not only are we the image of God, you come, you fast forward to the Jesus story, and it ends with God's spirit coming down and living within us. We become the temple of God. And so in a theological sense, but I think in a very real sense, we human beings are, for a lot of people, the only image of God they see or that they possibly will ever see. And so there's a reason why our human interactions lead us either to be closer to God or to run away from God. Because for a lot of people, human beings are the closest thing to God that they ever interact with. And your your interaction with somebody can lead someone to understand God better or to understand God worse. And I think that we really need to emphasize the humanity of God through Christ. I think we need to emphasize the divinity of mankind within us, because when you when you emphasize those things, being a person and how you interact with other people really matters. It, it increases the, the importance, the significance of every human interaction. And there's existential interpretations of what I'm saying, but treat each other well. <laughs> I mean, especially if you're a Christian, because the way that we interact with each other and the way that we interact with other people may be the only, it may be a significant experience that that person has with the face of God, with the image of God. And if you say that you're a Christian and that you want people to know God, then you really need to take account of how you are representing that image. And for myself, um, no matter where I end up, on either side of this conversation, I want to at least know that I represent that image well. So yeah, those are just some last words. I was, uh, I've enjoyed this a lot. You know, I, you know as always, it's great. And uh, and I know you're getting ready to start. You start your own podcast, right? You're getting ready to do that. That's right. So you want to? You can free plug it here, no problem. Let let people know what it's going to. Uh, yeah. So my podcast is called Pragmatic Christian Podcast. Basically. I will be going through on a week-to-week basis everything that we talked about here today. The common theme is Christianity, and I have guests on every week basically going through their personal experience with their own faith, with their own conceptions of God. And just like I was talking about earlier about testing out these ideas, I want to see how our, our beliefs about God play out in our individual experiences. And I want to, I have this idea that maybe we can learn from each other's personal experiences. Maybe we can edify our own faiths, our own beliefs, our own relationships with uh, God or our concept of God through other people's different experiences. So I, on my podcast, will have different people to talk about their personal experiences, their own journeys, their questions, their doubts. I'll have atheists on, philosophers of religion, theologians, friends, scientists, to kind of tackle this concept of faith and God from a variety of different aspects, because I think that all of these aspects are all additions to our vocabulary for talking about God and faith. And I think that we need all of the words in our vocabulary at our disposal to represent those ideas well and, ac- and as accurate as possible, if that's even possible. But uh, <laughs> that's the 
that's what the podcast is about. The website, the corresponding website will be up very soon, pragmaticchristian.com. That'll be up soon along with the podcast, and I hope you guys uh, check it out and enjoy. Yes, I'd encourage everybody to do that and hear more about Hayden. There's going to be a blog and some other stuff, and he's just he's got it on his heart to go out there and do this. And you know, for me, any any chance to promote that and help you with that, buddy, I, I wish you all the best with that, and and God bless all the efforts you're making in that because I think it's crucial. I think this is more the same. I don't think there's and there's plenty of room out there for podcasts and for people doing many things, anything in this regard in terms of getting people to really talk about it and hearing stories. It's, it's a big part of the reason I started this. It's why I asked you to come on the show. I appreciate it. It's been great. And, and I hope that those that are out there that are listening, take this as an opportunity to see people who aren't just towing a company line and just saying, here's the thing, here's the ABCs, call it a day. All you have to do is this and everything's great. It really is meant to, to, to be something that your faith, whatever your faith may be, Something you take on and it becomes part of that, part of that, like you said, part of that journey, part of that evolution of how you go through things. It should evolve. It has to evolve. We evolve, and I don't think there's anything to fear from that. I really don't think there's anything to fear from that. It could be just more, as I've seen, the evolution is just much more of the truth, much more of the truth than it is not, and, and that's and that's the beauty of it. So, all right, buddy. As is the tradition here, I'm going to close out with a prayer. If you wouldn't would be so kind as to, as to join me, and we'll we'll wrap up. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in your in your Son's name, in Jesus' name. We, we just want to say, first, we want to pray a little bit about Hayden's podcast and what he's doing. We hope that that bears fruit. We hope that that goes out and becomes a voice and glorifies you and, and really represents you for all, all all of all the things that you are and all the things that you ask us to go out there and be to the world so that they see you, as Hayden put it, in others. And that's really what my prayer is tonight and what my prayer is for this is that we have those that are out there that see you, and can we all can we all do that? And 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 there may be people out there that don't want to hear. It's not that they're trying. I'm not asking people to be Christian or anything like that. But can we be kind? Can we be compassionate? Can we be considerate? Can we be loving first and foremost? And let's worry about the other stuff later. Let's get into the details after that. Let's 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 bring that to the to the forefront of everybody, whether they're in a dump in Nicaragua or in a high rise in New York, wherever they happen to be, because trash isn't just physical and you can be in the depths of humanity no matter where you are. It can come to you and there is no escape from that. And there is no escape from those doubts. There is no escape from that that heartache. There is no escape from needing to be loved and feeling those things. And that is ultimately what we're asked to do and how we're asked to be you to the world, because that's what Jesus was to us when he made the sacrifice that he did. And you're just telling us, hey, go out there and be me to those other people because I'm asking you to do that because that's where they're going to see you. And I just ask that people do that. Thank you for this podcasting, for this time. Thank you for all the blessings you give us in order to make this thing happen. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.